Hello, Rabbi Levy. How are you? Baruch Hashem, doing well. How was your week? Great week. A uh, lot of interesting halachas on uh, the Rambam front, but of course also a great week for um, the finishing the, the conference of Shluchim last week and the big Zoom Fabrengen. So uh, doing great. How about you? A never-ending Fabrengen. That's right. Yeah, and it, it was a very special uh, encounter, and it was spontaneous how, you know, during COVID, many people are living alone. Uh, one of the challenges, Chabad Lubavitch Shluchim, is the idea of living in your own city or your own country, as, as you are in many cases. And the fact that we didn't have our annual conference together was definitely, you know, it was a... A week, it wasn't something we were... We were a, week, a week-long Zoom yeah. definitely uh, made us all forget about that. Yeah, so I said, you know, that's, that's where I'm getting at. Like, going into the conference, we're like, this is going to be a little rough. You know, we're really not going to be able to get together and uh, Fabring, spend time together and connect. But then once the Fabringen started and, it, I, you know, I would go to sleep at night and I woke up the next morning and it was still going on and still going on. And every time we went on, another interesting story, insight, brotherly love, connection, it was really a powerful experience. And I, I share that sentiment with you. So that was a powerful highlight, but uh, we, we, ha- we, we have to get back to work. So let's get into Let's Ram. go. Let's go. What have we learned this week? So last week, we um, continued the laws of Truma which are the gifts that is given to the Kohanim. In effect, it's actually given to Hashem, to God, but it is the representation, how it takes place on earth, is that it's given to the Kohanim, to the priests, who serve in the Bet HaMikdash. This week, we continue in the book of agriculture to go into other types of gifts that come from the produce that, comes out of our fields and the different details of how that takes place. So specifically, we moved on to the laws of Meiser. Meiser literally means a tenth. Mm-hmm. And this refers to Meiser Risha in the first Meiser, which would go to the Levites. 10% of all produce would go to the Levites. And this was something that had to be done every year on the agricultural calendar and be given to the Levites. And this was a big source of their ability to be able to live. Torah teaches us that the Levites did not have their own land. And this was very helpful for them. The community took care of them and allowed them to be able to live with dignity, notwithstanding their lack of personal possessions. We then moved on to another type of tithes called Meiser Sheni. Meiser Sheni is the second tithes which is a bit different because we don't give it away to anyone. We actually consume it by ourselves, but we consume it by ourselves in Jerusalem, specifically in Jerusalem. We actually discussed this in the morning class one of these days as to the significance of why this has to happen. And we shared two ideas. You're not giving it away. What's the purpose? If it's not going to poor people, what's the point? Right. It's not going. So, so we. Uh, if you if you're keeping it yourself, you know you could have stayed home. And and the the idea here is, 
we 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 learned together in Rabbi in Rabbi Steinsaltz's commentary the two ideas. The first of which was that it is a financial stimulus for Jerusalem because if people are coming up and whether they're making celebratory meals with the food that they actually bring up and they can invite different poor people or, and, and whatnot. But also, in many cases, people didn't bring produce. People brought money because one of the things we learned about, and we'll touch on that today, is the ability to be able to redeem that produce for actual cash, for actual money, silver coins. And then you would bring those silver coins and spend them in Jerusalem. So it would definitely add to the financial stability of the holy city of Yerushalayim, of Jerusalem. Additionally, it keeps Jerusalem at the center of the Jewish mind and heart. Libi b'mizrach, my heart is in the east, says Rabbi Yehuda Levi. The idea is that in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish heart, in the Jewish consciousness, Jerusalem never leaves our consciousness. And one of the ways to make that happen in a practical way, in a practical way, is that we would actually have to either bring a portion of our produce and consume it in Jerusalem or redeem it and bring that, those funds up into Jerusalem, giving us these two angles. So we have to separate those tithes. Now, once we separate those tithes, they're only allowed to be used for things connected to the physical needs of a person. So eating, drinking, or using oil as an ointment, a person who is impure for whatever reason, there are different levels of impurity, but in a more general set, in, the, in a more general context, I would say anyone who is biblically impure would not be able to consume these second tithes, even in Jerusalem. A person who is, is in the category of an onane, an onane speaking that would be for the date that one's loved one, close relative, passes on, is not allowed to consume the second tithes as well. And these, from a, from a prohibition point of view, none of these items, which are part of the, the second tithes, are allowed to be eaten outside of Jerusalem. Not the grain, not the wine, not the oil, whatever it might be, it goes into Jerusalem, and it should, be, should not be consumed outside of Jerusalem. We will, this week, go further and actually finish the section and we'll move on, but we'll catch up with that for next week. One of the, uh, one of the themes that uh, Rabbi Eli, you mentioned to me, you were, you were doing some research on this. There is a interesting discussion, which I, I'll touch on later on in a different context, but I'm really interested to hear, to hear your research on this. There's an interesting discussion in this week's Rambam regarding the trustworthiness of for lack of better term, and I say this with caution, non-learned Jews. In the context of giving tithes, we learned in the Rambam that the rabbis made an investigation and they came to a conclusion. They saw that there was a lot of, a lot of Jews, good, God-fearing Jews, good people, but when it came to giving the tithes, for whatever reason, it was something which became it became kind of a, a second-level idea in people's heads. People didn't take it too seriously. In fact, the Ramam clearly points out that when it came to those same individuals, when it came to giving truma, they were actually very, uh, very strict. So it wasn't as if they, these were Jews who were not interested, but somehow the concept of the tithes, and there's different reasonings for this, became something which they did not take too seriously. And this opens up an entire discussion of 
demai, which is produce that is in the hands of a non-learned individual, that being that they not necessarily took it seriously, how does that get seen from a halachic point of view? One of the things which we touched on in the Rambam is that even an individual who in general is not trustworthy with regards to giving tithes, when it comes to Shabbat, if he is asked on Shabbat, did you give tithes of your produce? And therefore, it's a very practical question because if you're invited to eat in his home, it's important to know the answer to that question. So the Ramam taught us that even a non-learned individual on Shabbat would not say a lie. The same individual which on Wednesday or Thursday would on Shabbat, he wouldn't. So please enlighten us as what you came up with in terms of understanding this interesting law that the Ramam taught us. Actually, about not, about not saying a lie on Shabbat, that's in fact the, the language that's used in the source where Maimonides took the ruling from, in the Talmud Yerushalmi. But in fact, we'll see that Maimonides phrases it very differently. Let's take a look. It's uh, chapter 12 of the Laws of Miser. And I actually, the inspiration for what I'm going to share, I actually heard this afternoon by visiting the website rambam.today where each day they feature a special in-depth analysis of part of the Rambam by different Rashi yeshivas, different uh, Torah scholars. One of them is the uh, Rosh yeshiva of one of the yeshivas I learned at, Rabbi Perlstein in Chicago. So I listened today what he had to say, and I want to share a little bit about that. So the Rambam starts chapter 12 of Ilchot Meiser, of the Laws of Meiser, talking about, like Rabbi Levi, you talked about people that were not proficient, not uh, well-versed, and not really didn't have a, uh, we, we wouldn't trust them normally about Meister. Now, what happened here is that someone bought fruits, bought produce from somebody who was really is not trusted about Meister. And now he forgot to deal with that produce to take the tithes, and now it's Shabbat. Now it is Shabbat. Now Shabbat, you can't take tithes. What do you do? So the Rambam says, you ask the person you purchased the produce from, and if he tells you that he indeed took tithes from them, you can eat from that produce on Shabbat. Fascinating. Normally we don't trust him. But now it's Shabbat. We trust him. Why, says the Rambam? And, 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 I, and I would add, it's not just that we don't trust him. We never didn't trust him because we thought he was a bad person or even a person which was susceptible to lying. We have a very particular fear here, which is that being that it was established in the days of Yochanan Kohen Gadol, that the fact is the vast majority of Jews did not take it seriously. So they just, it wasn't a question of, you know, we do like this individual, we don't like this individual. When it would come to something else, if this person would come and say testimony regarding a, a, another case, we probably would accept it. But with regards to this, Meiser, we say that we, he's not trustworthy because we saw people weren't. And all of a sudden on Shabbos, we have a total switch there. The Rambam, the Rambam says why. What's the reason? Why do we trust him? 
mipnei, the reason is she'emat Shabbat, the fear of Shabbat, alamiyaretz, even simple, even people of the land, amiyaretz, people that aren't scholars, they have the fear of Shabbat. And here is the, the punchline, ve'eno over ba'avera. Because of Shabbat, they will, not, they will not transgress. The problem is, the Ramam then continues in the next halacha and says, however, if the food is left over from, let's say, Shabbat, now, now you cannot rely on, keep on eating it, even though, you, you, even though you trusted his word about during Shabbat, the second Shabbat is over, now you can no longer eat without taking tithes if some of the food remains. And the question becomes, this seems to be inconsistent. How does it work? Do we trust or we not trust him? So the truth is, the reason why, the explanation given why on Motzei Shabbat we no longer, um, why he no longer has the ne'emanut, why he no longer has the ability to give us his word and we should accept it, because the Ram says it's possible, the reason is because it's possible that there are some people that uh, are the exception to the rule. Maybe there are some people that don't have the fear of Shabbat on them. But if that's the case, how come on Shabbat we can? It seems like something happens on Shabbat in an exceptional way. And the explanation that I heard today explains that really what happens is, and this is similar to another concept we find in other places, how even though sometimes Amiha'aretz, certain people of the land are considered to be an assumed status of impurity, the law is that on the Chagim, on the holidays, that's not the case. And they are, they are on, when the holidays kick in, they're now in a state, an assumed state of tahara. The holiday finishes, they revert. The explanation given is because then on the holidays, they become part of the klal. They become part of the, of the community as a whole. It lifts them up. It changes who they are. So based on that concept, perhaps the explanation here in the Rambam as well is that Shabbat changes the face of all, of all individuals and even people who aren't necessarily scholars, even people who aren't always proficient in all details of the law, but Shabbat comes, ain't no over ba'avera. Shabbat changes them. So when we look at them on Shabbat, we don't see people who aren't proficient in the law. We don't see people that, we don't see any deficiency. We see Jewish people. After Shabbat, okay, we reverts to, we have to deal with what we have. But Shabbat, the holidays and Shabbat, they create an environment which is such that now tells us, when someone tells us that, yes, this is, this is uh, we've taken Shruma from there, we now view these people as without having any deficiency. There is no chisaron. They're trusted just like somebody who had the chazaka, who had the assumed status of being able to take the miser. So this was the explanation I heard today on Rambam.today's website. Check it out. Rabbi Eli, I, I uh, you know, I, I appreciate the idea that you shared from Rabbi Perlstein, but if you, if you please would just take that apart a little bit. I mean, you live in, you live in Portugal. Um, you know, we are talking about a different era and there's much more assimilation in the world so, today. Look, so, it might look, be look, so it's one thing for us to be clear. We're not talking about somebody who's suspected of not giving tithes. Okay, so we're not talking about someone who has an active um, reason to suspect that this person is not giving tithes. If that's the case, then this, this, this halacha would not, would not take place. And that's uh, um, to quote 
someone who suspected but not giving tithes, Shabbat wouldn't help. Here we're talking about somebody who is, you know, he's part of the community. He's part of, he's part of, uh, like, you, like the, way, the words you were describing before. He's part of, he's part of Am Yisrael. However, he's not proficient in the laws. So during, when it's not Shabbat, you know, we have to look at each case, case by case and see what, uh, what you know, some people are, have the Ne'emanut, some people don't. But the, the, what the amazing thing is, is that Shabbat comes in and sweeps that all away and creates a new status where we look at each other and what do we see? We see not a person with his background and his baggage, but we see, a, we see it's Shabbat, we see a Jew on Shabbat. It's very, very, very interesting there. I, I, uh, I, was, actually, I was actually reflecting on this concept because it came up twice. Not, not the Shabbos concept, but the, the, the concept of trustworthiness uh, we, we saw it twice this week. We, we had it with regards to fruits and tithes, and we also had it with regards to purity and impurity, that when it came to a person which was not learned, the assumed status of the person is the person was not pure. I just want to clarify, when we say not pure, it's not that the person is an impure person, but this, the assumption is that the person could have walked into a cemetery, come in contact with a corpse, come in contact with a dead animal, et cetera, which all would render that person impure. And, you know, when, when you're learning in the Rambam, and this is a bait, you know, the Rambam is quoting the Talmud and, and his predecessors, it comes across, or it could come across like a bit elitist, if you will, you know, like the learned people have a certain trusted, Uh, status and the non-learning upon reflection it really brought me to a part of the Tanya authored by the Alter Rebbe the first Chabad Rebbe in the where he outlines the entire Chabad philosophy in the fifth chapter he speaks of the great connection that exists between a Jew and God through the study of Torah and one of the things he does there when he describes what Torah is about is, you know, we, we, we see Torah a lot as a information, access to information about Judaism. So if you want to know how to keep Shabbat, you go, you learn Torah and you find out what are the laws, what are the do's, what are the don'ts? How do you keep Passover? What are the do's, what are the don'ts? Et cetera, et cetera. As we're going through over the last months and looking forward to the coming months, we're basically covering the do's and don'ts and everything. But there's another element of study the other element of study is that when we're studying Torah, any item in Torah, effectively, we are consuming godly wisdom. And that godly wisdom creates a sensitivity within a person. So when we talk about uh, trustworthiness, it's not that one person is better or one person is worse. It's just that if a person studies Torah, it is... It is it brings into their consciousness a certain sensitivity to items that might not seem so important, might not seem, uh, you know, the end of the world. So when one studies Torah, it raises their sensitivity level to everything that's going on around them. I actually can tell you this with regards to the study of Rambam. Rabbi Eli, thank you for you know, getting me into this in, 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 a, in, a, in a daily basis in such a way. But I'll tell you where I saw it the most, you know, in, in the last, last book in the book of Hafla, uh, you have 
this idea of like of how a person ought to keep their word and how your word is is serious and when you say something the context of what that means and it really it really got me thinking sometimes when i'm speaking to other people to 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 say those words a bit different now it's not like before then I said, oh, I can, I can speak however I would like to speak and just get away with it. I, I, I knew that there, were, that, there were, that there were limitations in the fact that we have to keep our word. But when you read the details and the amount of godly wisdom that's involved in what we say and how we keep our word and to what extent we must do so, you know, before you take an oath or promise anything, you'll think six times. Because all these things are so now, what the knowledge does is twofold. First right. of all, it allows you to raises, know raises the sensitivity, makes you it raises aware. the sensitivity, and, and that really, that really is the power of, of Torah study beyond the particular. Right. It impacts everything that's going on. It impacts your life. Yeah, it's it's like the fuel of the soul. You know, and it allows the person. An interesting thing that happened this morning. You know, we're learning the three chapters of Rambam. A lot, my children, a lot of them are studying different, the Sefer HaMitzvot, the Book of Mitzvot of Rambam. So yesterday is Shabbat afternoon, and the last few weeks Shabbat here, it's been uh, somewhat of a quarantine. However, we hear there's people in front of our house picking fruits from our tree. And, you know, we don't really mind because there's no way we're going to grab them all. But, you know, we're, we're thinking, hey, they should really ask us. Uh, oh, okay, it's okay, let them take. They probably want it. They're probably hungry. Anyway, today, it's um, Sunday morning. I decided, you know what? The neighbors are taking our fruits. We should take them too. So we took a basket. I went with the kids. We start picking. And then we start talking. And, and my, my daughters are telling me, oh, well, there's, there, we have to leave the leket and the shikha and the peah. And she says, no. Yesterday, the poor people already took. We're good. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, so it brings, it brings the brings it, brings, it, brings it home. Yeah. It's like, home, it, you know, we're not in Israel and we're not uh, dealing with these things on a regular basis. It's not a mitzvah that we're living with. But to have it part of our consciousness, like you said, awareness is uh, special to see. So there's like this awareness and sensitivity, which are the two sides yeah. of, of this that really raise the bar. Um, I want to close with, uh, with a takeaway connected to this week's Rambam and actually with a personal connection to my family. Uh, in 1959, Sorry, 1958, exactly uh, 60, 62 years ago. My wife's grandparents, this week, 62 years ago, they moved out to Italy and established the center of Chabad in Italy based out of Milan and eventually moving on to many other cities throughout the country. They left as emissaries of the Lubavitcher Rebbe the last Shabbat that they were in the Rebbe's presence before they moved was Shabbos Parshas Vayetze, the week of the Torah portion of Vayetze, which is this week in the year, Tafshin Yud Tes, um, which would correspond to the year 1958. So during the, the Rebbe's Fabrengen with the Hasidim that week, he shared the following. In this week's parsha, it says, in this week's Torah portion, it says with regards to Yaakov Avinu, the person talking about Jacob, he expanded in a massive way 
he expanded greatly, and it says actually greatly twice in the Hebrew. Now, we know that Jacob actually received his blessings from Isaac. Last week's Torah portion, Jacob receives his blessings from Isaac. And yet, the verbiage of me'oid me'oid, of receiving blessings or experiencing blessings in this extreme, massive fashion, we see only with regards to Yaakov, and we don't see with regards to Yitzchak. Yaakov was a man who lived in the field. He was a shepherd. He had a large family. He was swindled by his father-in-law for 21 years. He had many, many challenges that seemed to be very down-to-earth and mundane. Our purpose in this world is not just to spend time in the synagogue or even to study Torah, but actually to get out into the world and within the world to remain upright, God-fearing Jews and reveal the presence of Hashem, the presence of godliness in the very mundane things that we do on a day-to-day basis. Yaakov was the one who actually went out there and did that even more than his father did. His father actually never left the land of Israel, as well often quoted. But Yaakov went out there into the world, dealt with the mundane. He actually became very, very wealthy. His possessions expanded. His his family expanded. The blessings which he received were massive. And the reason why he received those blessings is because he tapped in to the ultimate purpose of creation, the ultimate mission, and therefore was able to cash in, so to speak, on the blessings that his father gave him to an extent even greater than his father himself was able to experience. So when we, we learn here in the laws of the book of agriculture, I mean, we're talking about planting and farming and tithes, all things which seem to be you know, very material, people that are going to work every day. And when you're collecting the wheat and you leave a piece back, and if, do you take it, do you not take it? It seems, firstly, not seems, it is. It's very down to earth. It's very within the world that we live. And within that, it's minutia sometimes. If it's two pieces, you leave it back. If it's three pieces, you don't take it. And sometimes we can begin to think to ourselves, I mean, is, is this what God created the world for? And the answer is yes. This is exactly what God created the world for, that within farming and within planting and within collecting our grain and within the simple way that we deal with a person who we are trading money with and we need to make sure that the value is correct or incorrect. In other words, all of these details is precisely the purpose of creation. And when we are able to reveal Hashem in these seemingly smaller mundane details firstly we fulfill the purpose of creation and subsequently we see hashem's massive blessings in our life because we're touching the very core purpose of creation the rabbi actually said this the week that rabbi and mrs gorelick were moving on shlichus i believe that rabbi groner and rabbi mrs groner who moved to australia to establish the Chabad presence in Melbourne and the entire country of Australia moved that week as well. They both moved that week. And this was also in context of the talk was that you were talking about two Hasidim that really wanted to stay next to the Rebbe. I I can tell you, I've never spoken to Rabbi Groner, but from speaking to my grandfather, my wife's grandfather, and hearing 
he, all he wanted was to be in the Rebbe's presence. He went through a very difficult childhood in Russia, and he finally came to the United States. And a, and a, and a few short months after they married, he moved out to Italy. He didn't even know where it was on the map. And he came from Russia straight to there, war-torn Europe, war -torn Europe through Eretz Yisrael to America. And the Rebbe was telling them that, yes, it is out there in the world, and you're not in the warm cocoon of Brooklyn in 770, but out there is where you're really going to tap the mission, and you're really going to make it happen, and eventually welcome blessing into your life. Thank you. Beautiful, Rabbi Levy. And uh, let's go tomorrow, another day of Rambam. We'll see you. Yes, just want to make a quick note. It's in the English language every, every day. 6.15 Lisbon time, 7.15 Florence time. We learned the three chapters of Rambam together. It's over Zoom. If you would like to join us, please reach out and we'll share the Zoom information. It will be our honor to have you join us on the journey. Have a good week. See you tomorrow.